Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, thanks as always for the introduction there. What a week it was for Jim Nance, of course, calling the shots and a huge week for the winner, Hideki Matsuyama, the first Japanese-born player to win at Augusta National. And we think about how he played. Of course, it seemed like really on Saturdays when he won it, when he shot 65, the conditions got wet and then he went to his car, as they were saying on the broadcast. He went to his car and was just on his phone, just relaxing. And goes out there, eagles the 15th hole, and just flips a switch. And that seemed to be the biggest difference. Gave him a four-shot lead. And it really was kind of a formality on Sunday. I was surprised. Yes, Xander made a little bit of a charge. But uh, in the end, as Alatoris a little bit too, he ended up one shot short. And he was close there at the turn. Remember the confidence he had. I spoke with Zalatoris' caddy, Ryan Goble, and he said that the adrenaline that Zalatoris was feeling on the 10th hole, he was the guy basically chasing Matsuyama and he blew back or he blew past his birdie putt three putted but just so much adrenaline for his guy at that moment he was aggressive you can't knock Zalatoris for being aggressive knowing he had to be right to try to catch Matsuyama some somewhat similar for Xander Shoffley Xander went for it he hit it long with the eight iron on 16 he was in position you're two back with three to play you have to be aggressive maybe in times past Xander hasn't quite Stepped on the gas as much, maybe in 2017 at the U.S. Open, maybe at the Open Championship in the final pairing 2018 there with Jordan Spieth. He was never in the mix in the back nine. This was an opportunity in the mix on the back nine for Xander. Look at, he was seven back at one point on the front because of his tough start, the double bogey early on. It depends on how you look at a glass half full, glass half empty. I think you have to take it half full with Xander. I thought that he really showed some grit. He fought back. He got into contention. Uh, and really was the only guy with a shot there on 16, playing with Matsuyama, staring down Matsuyama uh, after the birdie there on 15, Matsuyama going in the drink long. Uh, but in the end, Xander, another close call in a major. He seemed to have a pretty positive attitude about it. He seemed, after talking to Amanda Balionis on the broadcast, he seemed like he knew he was in the position. He wanted to be aggressive. He wanted to go after it and try to win. And that's what he did and uh, led to a triple. But you know what? I think this experience is going to help him. The question I have for you guys, final round experience for these younger players. They get into these final pairings, I should say, and what that means for these guys. Think about Matsuyama. He was in the final pairing at the PGA Championship 2017. The one that JT ended up winning and Matsuyama ended up faltering on the stretch. I think that was massive for him to get that experience. And him winning, Matsuyama winning, gets me to think about what could this mean for other young players who have had that experience. We talk about Xander having the experience in the final grouping of a major, like he did in 2018 at the Open Championship. But I think of other guys. Tony Finau. He was in the final pairing with Daniel Berger, another guy 
younger, in his 20s, uh, Fina, of course, in his early 30s, but for both of them, it was massive experience. And the point I'm making here is that Hideki Matsuyama was four years removed from that experience, being in the final grouping. He hadn't had a top 10. He hadn't even sniffed a chance at winning a major seriously on Sunday until four years later, which was this past Sunday. So think about that. He went four-year drought with no top 10s, and yet he had that experience to draw on, and that was enough to get him through. Of course, an unbelievable <laughs> iron player, precision player. Short game looks so much better than it used to. So there is so much uh, to take away from that part of it. But I think you have to look at going forward. Who does this affect? What kinds of guys? And I named those three, Berger, Shoffle, and uh, Finau. Just some of the younger players who have gotten that valuable experience in the final grouping of a major. Um, I'm going to paint a picture for you what uh, Matsuyama and just the draw, what it's like covering him in golf, right? So I was at 2016 at Greensboro. So humid. It was August. And listen, Japanese media are always all over their guy, Hideki. And I remember uh, it was so hot that the media area, the quick quotes area, was in a parking lot. And he was so so overheated, whatever you want to call it, he sat down on one of those uh, concrete slabs, you know, at the end of a parking spot. <laughs> and he was just like, okay, I got to sit down. I need some water. Okay, let's do the interviews here. I remember uh, the Japanese media uh, writers and stuff were trying to pick him up, trying to get him to stand up. He's like, no, let's just do it here. So they always have a circle around him. And there's 8 to 10, 12 strong at every tournament on the PGA Tour. At least it was during non-COVID, right? And so they did the interview with him sitting on a cement block. <laughs> in the parking lot at Greensboro. I mean, listen, there is so much pride for the Japanese media to see one of their own get it done. And I think this is massive for the Olympics. As we look forward now, we spin things forward. You have to imagine, as Nick Fowler said on the broadcast, he's going to be, Hideki's going to be the guy to light the Olympic flag, excuse me, the Olympic flame there um, for the for the Olympics in Japan coming up. What a huge opportunity this is. Uh, so a big win for Hideki Matsuyama. That's a, that's a takeaway for me is just his play was awesome. But remember his caddy, that moment, viral moment there when his caddy uh, grabbed the flag, uh, Shota grabbed the flag, bowed to the course, and just what a sign of respect from representing his country at that point, really. Still in the limelight and, and just showing so much respect for Augusta National. Loved it. Will Zalatoris, we talked a little bit about his, you know, the takeaways I had from him on Sunday in talking to his caddy, Ryan Goble, and he's a 49-year-old veteran. He's been at caddying for 10 years. Um, the adrenaline on the eighth hole, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but the adrenaline on the eighth hole was the biggest that Goble felt the entire week, he told me, he said that he was just the excitement. They were right there in the mix. He was feeling it after they made birdie there. Um, there were cheers for Zalatoris. I was on 15 on Sunday, okay, watching John Rahm. There were cheers going up when uh, Zalatoris was a few holes uh, behind. They put up his score, his birdie, I think was on the front nine, and cheers were going up there. Like He really was, I thought, the crowd favorite. As you saw, finishing on 18, I didn't even know I was, I don't know, a couple hundred yards away from the 18th green, and I hear them just boom, a huge <laughs> exhilaration, uh, excitement from the fans there, the patrons, as I should say, with uh, the, the final putt of the tournament for Zalatoris. And I'm like, this has got to be like a birdie or something. In the end, it was a par, a great all-world par. Um, but just, I, I really think he was the crowd favorite based on the reactions you saw on the back nine um, that Sunday out there. 
Um, and that finish, actually, him making that putt, the exchange, I asked Alatorres what was the exchange like, and he said it was just one big hug for us. And uh, <laughs> a little bit after that, it was just obviously a rewarding moment for them. But a little bit after that, uh, Will said that, hey, listen, you're going to give me a ride down to uh, Hilton Head, right? You're gonna <laughs> I need a ride down on Monday. Let's do this. So here they are going to make the two-hour ride together. Listen, these guys are still up and coming. I mean, they've got no guaranteed PGA Tour status for Zalatoris. I mean, yes, he's into the Masters next year because he's in the top 12. We'll get to a discussion about uh, the top 12 players and what that will do. Uh, any surprises? Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But Zalatoris, what a huge week that was for him. Um, and I think another important takeaway was that he was not his usual chatty self on Sunday. That's one thing that Goble, his caddy, told me was that typically he gets a little chattier Although there were moments on Saturday, right before the, all the pressure was there, where on the 17th tee, he just kind of looked at, at Ryan and said, wow, like this, this is a lot of fun. You having fun? This is great. And clearly, being on the stage where he said many times where he wants to be, but just that exchange, that moment that they had. So Gobo pays it right back to him on Sunday on 17, right? He goes, man, are you having fun? Well, this is great. And Will's like, yeah, we're having fun. Just a couple holes before that on 15, Zalatoris kind of let out a big sigh. This is what Goble said, just a big sigh. And at that point, what, six behind uh, Matsuyama, running out of holes. And so Goble said, listen, um, let's just play some solid golf. We're well behind, and we'll just see where the chips fall. Let's just go out there, play some solid golf. And he did. So you got to tip your hat to uh, Zalatoris and what he brought to the table. Xander kind of touched on him already, what this means for him. Are you guys worried about him? I'm not at all. I think this experience is going to be something he can draw on in the future. Um, and he doesn't seem devastated by it, right? Jordan Spieth, obviously a big week for him, top four finish. And uh, coming off 18, the pa uh, patrons are right there chatting with him and and he acknowledged them, smiled, and, you know, that's the old Jordan we love. We, we love that ear-to-ear -ear grin. He's, uh, yes, he was disappointed, obviously, in not getting the win, but still very impressive um, that he was able to get a strong finish as well. And as I mentioned, players from the top 12 coming back, who really stands out? Of course, these are some top players in the world, but Stuart Sink, 47-year-old, okay? Tied for 12th, just barely sneaks in with Kevin Na. Of course, we had Na on the podcast a couple weeks back. Na loves uh, Augusta National. So they're both back next year, guaranteed. Uh, Stuart Sink hung around after finishing, and he talked to uh, friends, family, just soaked in the moment. Uh, you would have thought that this guy wasn't coming back the next year, but he's a Georgia boy. He spent a lot of time um, in Atlanta. I think he still lives in Atlanta over by uh, the course Sugar Sugarloaf, uh, that course where they used to have the tournament there. Um, but, oh, yeah, he was just... I thought just very, very relaxed there on Sunday, just soaking it in, but it's going to be great to have him back. No surprise, in my opinion, because he's number one in greens in regulation on the PGA Tour this year, so he is back. And this is, of course, second shot golf course, right, Augusta National. No surprise that he's right back at it. Justin Rose, I want to get to him just for a minute here. What were your thoughts on him finishing up? I was a little surprised he didn't become as much of a factor down the stretch listen he was playing with the lead he was playing with a lot of pressure for most of those those first opening rounds and think about late friday there was an image that sticks with me late friday he's driving on 17 he goes a little bit left and then he just drops his shoulders puts his head down kind of covered his face a little bit for a minute you could just tell he just all the air went out of the balloon at that point. And I'm not saying it was over at that point, but you could just, it just shows you how much internal pressure and how much 
of a external shield that these guys are putting up, especially when they're playing with the lead for so long as he had been. So that kind of sticks with me with throws. You have to wonder, I tweeted out Sunday morning, how many more golden opportunities or good opportunities, I should say, will he have at winning the Masters? This is really a numbers game at this point. How many opportunities? I don't, at this point, early 40s, it's hard to say with Rose, but you've got to think only maybe a couple more times. Uh, but that was a great chance he could have had there. Didn't get it done. Uh, John Rahm, I look at what, how he played. Of course, six under on fire. He was mad he wasn't more aggressive earlier in the week. Six under on Sunday, 66. I saw him on 15 and 16 on Sunday. Made that, that birdie putt on 15. He actually missed a sh- pretty short one, a great tee shot on 16, and missed that one. He could have really posted a number. Um, I mean, great, six under is great, but still, he, it could have been a lot better. Some of those par fives he could have um, added to his equation as well. And I was talking with Rom's agent, Jeff Kosky, on the 16th tee, the par three, and I asked him, hey, you've got to love <laughs> the way Augusta sets up. Seems like it sets up well for, for John Rom. And he said, are you kidding me? Just Augusta National? No. I like his game anywhere, any course. And when I thought about that, of course, is John Rahm, top 10 player in the world, just a, a world beater. And think about the schedule coming up. Torrey Pines for the U.S. Open. He plays so well. He loves that venue. He loves the course. And I know it's going to be set up much differently for the U.S. Open. But Rahm is a strong player, and you've got to like his chances there. You've got to like his chances in, in majors coming up after that, too. Uh, PGA Championship, Kiwa Island. He plays pretty well in the wind, um, and you would expect the wind to pick up there uh, for next month. And then the Open Championship. He's had some pretty good weeks at the Open. And uh, Irish Open, of course, some of the best golf he's ever played. His caddy, Adam Hayes, had told me uh, that the two Irish Open wins he's he's had are the best he's ever played in his career, in the opinion of Adam Hayes, who's been with him for about four years. So that's some high praise. And you've got to like how that fits going forward. So good stuff for John Rama. Loved uh, his strong finish. Uh, the other topic I wanted to kind of wrap this up with, um, dads at the Masters. And specifically, first time that they've been there at Augusta. And I think about Blaine Morikawa. I saw him out on Sunday. And I had to ask Blaine, like, what is this like? How rewarding does this feel to see your son at Augusta? Obviously, for him, it was amazing to see the course. He said he just loved walking the course, the undulations, just getting to know, getting around Amen Corner, but then seeing his son as part of the equation, playing the course, was something he's never going to forget. And so for him, that was a huge takeaway, just uh, the moment uh, of seeing his son tee off, hitting his first tee shot there, and just uh, you know playing the famous parts of the course, 15, 16, and the back nine. So he really is going to uh, take that away from this week. Blaine Morikawa, big, big finish for him. He was an ear-to-ear grin on his face as he left uh, the property on Sunday, watching his son for the first time. Scott Scheffler, same same for him as well. Uh, Callie Scheffler, um, his older sister, was out there too. Uh, she said the whole family was out there. So a big moment for Scott Scheffler to be in person to see Scotty. And Scotty's second Masters, I think Scotty's going to be a perennial um, favorite at Augusta. I think it's a, it's a game that matches up well for him. He's a great putter, good iron player. So just a, a cool moment for Scott to be there as well. You think about that. And then John DeChambeau, of course, he had already been there. First time, 2016, when his son, uh, playing his last event as an amateur, right? Uh, that 2016 U.S. Open, he was right there in the mix through 35 holes. He was in second place, and in the end, um, I think tied for 21st in that tournament. But I remember there was a moment with DeChambeau, uh, John DeChambeau, I should say. He was in a scooter. His, his legs were giving him an issue with walking, so he was in a scooter. 
and we're on the seventh tee box, and his son, obviously Bryson, hits tee shot. He's walking, and, and Bryson's probably 120, 140 yards in front of us. He'd already left the tee box, and John very faintly just kind of said, "Hi, son." Like just the quietest, and you could feel you could feel a little breeze. It was a quiet Sunday afternoon, and instantly Bryson turns around, just like for, for, you know, turns his head uh, to the right. And he, he could hear the voice of his dad. It was crazy to me. It was surprising. Before that, I, I hadn't been a father yet. I didn't realize, um, you know, how how powerful the voice of a dad is. But it was a cool moment. And I actually reminded John of that when I ran into him on Saturday uh, of the Masters. Hey, do you remember that moment? He's like, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> so we had a good laugh. And he, he just said that it's just special every time coming to the Masters um, and being out there. Of course, his wife was out there as well. And just watching their son Bryson. Bryson's really becoming a favorite. I know he hasn't played up to the, maybe the the big time expectations, but still, um, really cool to see John DeChambeau out there. I did run into uh, Chris Como, uh, one of the coaches for Bryson DeChambeau, and there was a moment I guess uh, Bryson was trying out some equipment in the equipment trucks, and uh, Chris basically was waiting and waiting and, and, and finally caught up to, to Chris. I said, wow, like, is this always like this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're used to it. <laughs> we're used to, to him testing things out. And that's just what Bryson does. So um, good takeaways, I thought, from the week. What a an awesome week at Augusta. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And I just want to finish up with Encore Golf. They've got a two-time Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner. They're Elixir Golf Ball. You've got to give it a try. It's designed expertly crafted for all golfers, whether you're amateur elite player, scratch player, high-density particles in the mantle, pioneering perimeter-weighted design. Uh, the Elixir really gives you an incredible velocity, accuracy, and distance off the tee. Check it out, EncoreGolf.com, and then on social media, at EncoreGolf. Great stuff, guys. Hope you enjoyed it from uh, watching the Masters this this past little bit. What do you think uh, we'll see at Hilton Head? I love that venue. I was out there five years ago. Uh, following Bryson DeChambeau, interviewed him. Uh, it was the day before he would turn pro, right? Tuesday, he turned pro, signed with Cobra. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I asked him, what was it? <clears throat> and it was a lot of fun. I, I asked him, what's it going to feel like uh, to turn pro? And he said, you know, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be a whole other step for me. I'm going to have to get acclimated to it, but really looking forward to it. And it was just a nice three-minute interview. Uh, we were there by the range. And it's something I'm never going to forget. I think Bryson has had quite a career already, and it was worth it for me to drive out there. Listen, I got up to crack it down 5 a.m., drove out there, got there at uh, Hilton Head 7.30. I was there till about 1 o'clock. And then I raced to Atlanta from there. I don't know if it was a four-hour drive or something. Raced to Atlanta, tried to catch my flight, missed it because I had waited. I was there way too long at Hilton Head, fell in love with the place. Beautiful harbor town, the 18th hole. And uh, so I stayed at a buddy's house, a friend of mine from CNN, stayed at his place, and then <laughs> went out on Tuesday. So good memories from five years ago uh, covering my first Hilton Head, RBC Heritage. Uh, so we'll see what happens this week. Great players in the field. Obviously, Morikawa, I think you have to look towards Morikawa for this week. It's such a precision course, right? And then DJ's, DJ's there again. Were you guys surprised he missed the cut at the Masters as defending champion? So that was uh, a little bit of a hiccup there for DJ, but here he is uh, back at Heritage, and we'll see how he plays this week. 
Webb Simpson, of course, defending champion. You have to to look at Webb as a solid player. But I think I'm going to go with Morikawa as my pick for this week. We'll see how he goes. And anyway, thanks for sticking with me here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Hope you enjoyed this wrap-up for the Masters. And uh, there's so much to look forward to in this uh, tour season coming ahead. And we'll catch up again soon on Beyond the Clubhouse.